This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who describes himself as cool, cocky, and bad. Here is the captain. Yeah, the honky-tonk man's going to get you. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today, we are very happy to be featuring Conky Tonk Lager by the good folks over at New England Brewing Company. Conky Tonk is an experimental pilsner made with hops from New Zealand called Hort 9909. This experimental hop adds some lemon and lime notes with a little bit of hay character. 5.4% ABV garage grade three and a half bottle caps out of five. And let's give some thanks and praise to our good friends that helped us fill up the beer fridge in the garage this week. First up, a cheers to Herrick in Messina, New York. And a big We Like Your Jib to Stephanie in Dublin, Ireland. And here's a cheers to Bernadette in Vallejo, California. And a big shout out to John in Tampa, Florida. Here's a double-fisted cheers to Josh and Nadia Hernandez in Arizona. And a big, big cheers and a Ron Swanson please and thank you goes out to Courtney S. from the city so nice that they named it twice, New York, New York. Thank you to everyone that contributed to this week's Beer Fund. Yeah, in Beer Run. So much love to you people that are supporting our store page. We have some new items, so go check those out today. I know some people are sad because they missed the long sleeve tees. We'll try to bring those back, but that's why you have to be in the know. So sign up on the mailing list at truecrimegarage.com. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
If you are listening for the first time, thank you for joining us. If you are a longtime listener of the program, welcome back. Whether you are new to the show or an old friend, we are all here for the same reason. Now, while there may be many different reasons for each of us coming to the garage today, there is one single reason that is the same for all of us. Each one of us has a little detective in them. I don't know where it is for each of us. Maybe you have the mind of a detective. Maybe you're a detective at heart. Or the detective in you comes straight from the soul. Wherever old Sherlock comes from, within, you are a detective. At least, when you are with us. Now, why are you a detective? Well, it's not for the reasons that you think. It's not because you recently purchased John Douglas's new book, or that you have watched every Keith Morrison dateline, or because you binge True Crime Garage at work, in your car, and at the gym. No, you are a detective for two simple reasons. One, you love a good mystery. And two, you hate mysteries. You love a good mystery because it draws you in and challenges you. Knowing everything and finding the answers compels you to expend time, energy, and wit. And you hate it because it eats at you. Especially when the story is left unfinished. Without a solution. Without answers. And for some of you, without punishment. It's unresolved. It is still a mystery. Like so many things in life, your passion for these true crime stories, too, become a love and hate relationship. Now, that we have established that on some level all of us here are detectives, well then it would be easy for one to assume that many of you have even pictured yourself in the shoes of a detective, seeing the crime scene for the first time, looking for clues, better yet evidence. Well, here is an opportunity for thousands of us little detectives to daydream together. Close your eyes. You are the detective. You receive a call to respond to a residence. When you arrive, you are somewhat greeted by a man. He is panicking. He takes you to a woman who is unresponsive. She is lying on her back with blood on her face. There are no visible injuries to the woman so you're not sure why she's unresponsive. The man says that the woman lives there. Are you her husband? Do you live here too, you ask? No, he says. What's her name, you ask? He provides a first name. He says he tried giving her chest compressions, but it didn't work. Sadly, the woman is dead upon your arrival. Once she is removed from the scene, the coroner will do their thing. But this is a mysterious death, a call you responded to, and as it goes in most jurisdictions, that means you just caught a case. This woman's mysterious death is now your investigation. You're in charge, and while you wait for lab tests to be run, the coroner to provide additional information, and the cause and manner of her death, you are left at the scene and there is work to be done. We have a scene to secure and search for clues, leads, and evidence. Evidence collection and inventory. 
photographing the scene, processing it according to police procedure. We have a witness to interview, plus other possible witnesses to seek out. Who else was here? What is our timeline of events? Do you see anything that would indicate that a crime was committed or possible multiple crimes having been committed? You need to speak with her family and ask them the appropriate questions as well. And as for your quote witness, what do we do with him? Do we need to process this witness, request physical specimens, photograph him, and ask to search his person? Do we need to read him his rights and remind him that maybe he should have a lawyer present? There is so much to do, but today we are going to tell you a story that I think might make your temperature boil, good little detective. Because the true story we have for you, the real-life detective did very little, hardly anything, once the woman's body was removed. This is True Crime Garage, and this is the case of Lauren Smith-Fields. This week we are going seaside to Bridgeport, Connecticut. And Captain, I don't know, do we call this the Bumble murder case or the Bungled murder case? I say Bumble murder because some are saying a young woman, and this is Lauren Smith-Fields, met with foul play after meeting a man on the Bumble dating app. And I say I'm confused because that's of two simple facts here. One, we have 23-year-old Lauren Smith-Fields dies under mysterious circumstances after a first date with a guy that she met using this app. But then there's no investigation into her death. That's right. The Bridgeport, Connecticut police detective and their office failed to investigate and failed to notify Lauren's family that she died. So what's Bumble? According to their website, the Bumble app is more than an app. It's a movement. I love all these companies these days. We're, we're more than this. We're more than that. Nope. Sorry. You're an app. True Crime Garage is more than a podcast. We're more than a podcast. It's a lifestyle. That's right. So according to Bumble, it's more than an app, Captain. It's a movement. They say, we encourage integrity, kindness, equality, confidence, and respect during all stages of a relationship, whether online or offline. Bumble is where people go to learn how to establish and maintain healthier connections. I, I agree with that, and I applaud the people over at Bumble. They say when members of the opposite sex match on Bumble, women are required to make the first move, shifting old-fashioned power dynamics and encouraging equality from the start. I think that's a good way to start things off. Now, what happened to 23-year-old Lauren Smith-Fields? Well, we go back just less than two months ago to the morning of December 12th, 2021. Emergency services receive a 911 call about an unresponsive woman at a residence. Emergency services arrive. It sounds like a police officer was there shortly after EMTs were on the scene. Because most of the articles state that an officer found Lauren lying on her back on the floor with dried blood in and around her right nostril. This is according to the police. The officer says that they found a frantic man, a quote, frantic man who identified himself as someone who had only known Lauren for about three days. 
The man said he had been doing chest compressions after being instructed to do so by the emergency operator on the phone. The man was trembling and visibly shaken and stirred. Now, we should note here that the man's name is given in some news reports and and purposely not given in most news reports. So this man tells police that he arrived at Lauren's home the night before. She invited him over to her place for what was to be, according to him, a first date. According to this man, the two were having a good time. They were drinking shots of tequila for part of the night. But at some point, Lauren became ill and went to the bathroom to get sick. But then later, Lauren decided to continue drinking. So now she's feeling better and they go back to having a good time. The man says they drank more tequila with mixers, played some games, ate some food, and watched a movie. Lauren lived in an apartment on Plymouth Street in a busy part of Bridgeport. At some point during the night, Lauren's brother stopped by her home to collect clothes from her. Now, from my understanding, Captain, he doesn't come to the door. I The way it sounds to me is he pulls up somewhere outside and Lauren kind of rushes out to meet him. Right. It even sounds to me like the man wasn't really certain who Lauren was meeting with, but whatever happened, she's outside of the apartment for a brief period of time speaking with somebody. The man says he doesn't see whoever Lauren is talking to. And what Lauren's brother says is that he's not even aware that that she's on a date. So the brother doesn't go inside. He doesn't even realize that there's somebody inside, it sounds like. Right. When Lauren comes back into the apartment, the man says that Lauren went to the bathroom and she was in there for about 15 minutes. A short time later, Lauren fell asleep on the couch and the man was still at the apartment at this time. He says he carried her to bed and then fell asleep next to her. Now, he says when he woke up that morning, he could see blood coming out of her nostril. He then called 911 to request help. Medics arrived and pronounced her dead. Their report indicates that Lauren had been dead for maybe an hour or so. And not that it matters too much, but I believe he stated at some point that he woke up around 3.30 and she was snoring. And then when he woke up again around 6 o'clock or so when he went to use the restroom or something, that's when he realized she wasn't breathing. Officers say that they collected several items as evidence and that they would take that with them before leaving and securing the apartment. And next, for reasons unknown, the police failed, and I say failed not by attempting and striking out. No, they failed to notify Lauren Smithfield's family of her untimely death, failing to do so because from where I sit, it appears very little to no attempt at all was made to contact her family. So from statements from the family, they're saying they they didn't find out that she had passed away till a day and a half later when they went to visit her apartment. Yeah, and the way that this goes down here, Captain, is we have a family that at some point they try to reach out to Lauren. They have no clue that anything terrible has happened when they're trying to reach out to their daughter or their sister. The family eventually goes to her apartment, and when they do so, they find a note. The note's not from the police. It's from the landlord, Lauren's landlord, who says that, hey, you need to contact police or contact the landlord because Lauren is no longer with us she's she's now dead at this point this is not the way a family should find out about their loved one passing on here we have a really bizarre situation and i'm not just talking about bizarre from the outside looking in 
there's all kinds of question marks when I see this thing. Right. And I see that this thing is blown up on TikTok, and we get several people emailing us, dozens of people emailing us and saying, hey, do you know what's going on here in Connecticut? And unfortunately, I didn't know at the time, and I'm going to say I'm even more saddened to know about it now uh, after looking into this incident, looking into the situation there in Bridgeport. And we'll get into that more as we go through uh, this case and this story. But here we have a situation that for whatever reason, this family is not notified. And then, of course, they're going to have questions about their loved one's death. Why is she dead? You know, what What happened to this woman? Was it investigated? If you didn't notify us, we, we have no reason to believe that you've done any other work on this case. And she's found in the company of a man that we've never met. We do not know this guy. We don't know who he is, and we don't know his involvement in her mysterious death. Like we said, according to the mail and the situation, they only were talking for the last few days. So obviously she didn't bring this up to her family. I don't think it's that odd that she didn't tell her brother, Hey, I have a guy over because sometimes that's the stuff you just don't share with your siblings. So I don't find that odd, but she's in good health. She's young she is not a known drug user to the family. So this just seems so out of left field. She's attending college. She has her own apartment. Things seem to be on the up and up with our victim, Lauren, here. Now, we do have the police report, which could offer some more detail as to the events of that night in the morning when she's found. And I think we should pour over those details here now, Captain. So according to this, the responding officer was dispatched to Plymouth Street, and this was on the report of a non-responsive female. Medics and fire were dispatched there as well. Upon arrival, and this is directly from the report, upon arrival, a knock on the door was answered by a frantic man, later identified as blank. Now, he his name has been redacted from the police report, and again, some news outlets are reporting his name, and some are purposely not I do not know what side of the fence to fall on here. So what we're going to do, just so we quit saying the man, we'll refer to this guy as Matt going forward. So a frantic man, Matt, answered the door. He directed me, again, this is from the officer's point of view. He directed me to the rear of the apartment to a bedroom. There I observed a young adult black male lying on her back on the floor. She had dried blood in and around her right nostril. She did not appear to be breathing. He told me that the person on the phone instructed him to do chest compressions. He picked up his phone and asked if he should keep doing them. He was trembling and visibly shaken. The call taker told him to hang up and speak with me, the officer. Right. I told him the medics were on the way and the sirens could be heard in the distance. I asked what her name was, and he replied, Lauren. When I asked for her last name, he said he wasn't sure, but her Instagram page says it is Smith. He stated that he has only known her for about three days and came here for the first time last night. They met on the dating site Bumble. Fire and medics arrived on the scene and began life-saving efforts for Lauren. When asked, Matt stated that after meeting on Bumble, he found out that they had a mutual friend via Instagram and they began to chat there. She invited him over for a date, asking him to give her $40 to get her nails done, 
and to bring a bottle of tequila. He said he arrived at her home at approximately 9.30 p.m. and tried to contact her via Instagram twice, but she did not answer. He said that he does not have any direct contact information for her, you know, a cell phone number, etc. He only has this Instagram and Bumble information. Yeah, a lot of times when somebody meets online, they'll continue to communicate with whatever method they originally met and they won't exchange like cell phone numbers and stuff until maybe they know it's going to be more serious. At first he says he thought he was stood up and he left, but then Lauren called him to come back a short time later saying that she didn't answer his call because she was putting on her makeup. He went on to say that they began drinking shots of tequila and Lauren became ill. She went to the bathroom to vomit and was apologetic when she returned. They then decided to drink the tequila and mixers. They played some games, ate some food, and started to watch a movie. Lauren was texting with someone and then told him that her brother was going to be dropping something off to her. She went outside for a few minutes. He says he never saw the brother. When she came back in, she went straight to the bathroom and she stayed in there for approximately 10 to 15 minutes. He thought it was odd, but didn't feel it was his place to say anything as he didn't know her that well. They continued to watch the movie and finish the bottle of tequila. This is uh, Casamigos tequila, big bottle. Lauren fell asleep on the couch, so he carried her to her bedroom and laid her in her bed. He then laid down next to her and fell asleep. He says he woke up at approximately 3 a.m. to use the restroom and Lauren was snoring at that time. He woke up again at approximately 6.30 a.m., and she was lying on her right side. Blood was coming out of her right nostril onto the bed, and she was not breathing. That is when he called 911. A bunch of things to go over. Yes. One, he's telling you we started our conversation through Bumble. Okay, well, let me see the app. Let me see that communication. Okay, then we continued our conversation on Instagram. Okay, let me see Instagram. Let me see that conversation. Let me see your phone, and then let me see her phone. We know her phone's there, but did they try to access it? And maybe they couldn't because of passwords or whatever. But you could at least have him access those two things, and you could take screenshots of those and then send those to the officer's phone. Well, there's all kinds of missteps that are going to be taken here, in my opinion here, Captain. Now, this responding officer is not the same as the detective. So I think where we start messing things up is once this is handed off to the actual detective. It looks to me that this officer, and again, I'm not familiar with Bridgeport, Connecticut Police Department procedures, but it appears to me that this responding officer is doing all the normal stuff, right? Talking to the people on the scene, right. securing the scene, making observations, taking a report. Now, the report goes on to say what this officer's actions were after this young woman, unfortunately, is pronounced dead. So it would be at 6.49 a.m. when the medics told the officer that Lauren had been dead for at least an hour, maybe more. Matt gave a written field statement to his account of the events of that evening. 
This officer, the reporting officer, notified a sergeant and request the detective bureau supervisor be notified via dispatch. So this is just simply a responding officer that's doing their job, and now they're going to have to hand it off to the higher-ups, right? right. we got to get a sergeant involved. I'm going to notify the detective bureau that we got a mysterious death. We have a death investigation that needs to happen. And they're you're handing off the ball and hoping that they run with it and run with it in the right direction. Goes on to say that this officer contacted the medical examiner and the officer found a U.S. passport identifying Lauren as Miss Lauren Smith Fields, male with the same name on it inside the apartment, a MasterCard with that name on it, and $1,345 in cash. There was a cell phone on the couch that Matt identified as Lauren Smith Fields' phone. There's also some mail to some other people here, and I don't feel comfortable mentioning their names because I don't know how they fit into the situation. They could have been former roommates. Yep, or she could have been house-sitting or, or collecting somebody's mail. Could have been any number of things. Right. The, um, the detective and sergeant were notified, and the sergeant Morales and Detective Cronin arrived on scene at 8.12 a.m., and the medical examiner arrived on the scene shortly after. It goes on to say that the officer made contact with a Hector Torres. He is the landlord and lives on the second floor. He said that Lauren Smith Fields has lived there for almost a year. He knows that her mother stops by occasionally, but does not know her and has no contact information for her. He was issued a complaint service form and asked to give it to Lauren Smith Fields' mother the next time he sees her. Detective Cronin gave Mr. Torres his contact information before he and Sergeant Morales left the scene. After the body was removed, I located a key that fit the front door. I made sure all windows and doors were secure and all lights were off and locked both locks on the front door and left. Ms. Smithfield's money, key, passport, MasterCard, and cell phone were all turned into the property room for safekeeping slash further investigation. Now, it still seems like they could do some kind of background check on her and and find maybe some phone numbers that they could try to call so they could try to reach out to her family. Yes. Yes, it certainly does seem like they could have done that. but uh, Or even look up prior addresses. That would be in the system and and drive by to see maybe that's her parents' house. And I'll read something directly from a CNN article here. And there are several good news outlets that we found in regard to this case. This from CNN. The police did not notify Smithfield's family of her death. Instead, the family found out a day later after visiting her apartment and finding a note from the landlord on Smithfield's apartment door. Quote, the mom had been calling because Christmas dinner was supposed to be at Lauren's house that year. They drove over there, found a note on the door from the landlord that said, if anyone was looking for Lauren, call me, the landlord. The police never tried to reach out to the family. They just took her body out of the home. The family describes the detectives assigned to the case as, quote, rude. And one of them saying that the detective treated the family badly when they called and met with police seeking answers about Smithfield's death. During a meeting earlier this month, so this would be January, police told them that they did not find anything suspicious at the scene, and a detective allegedly told them there was no blunt force trauma. 
I believe also they were told to stop calling the police. Yeah, exactly. And this, again, from that same article, uh, Miss Smithfield's mother, Chantel Fields, said that she didn't find out about her daughter's death until a day and a half later on the evening of December 13th, and police did not notify her about it. Instead, Miss Fields said it was her daughter's landlord who put her family in touch with Detective Cronin, who offered very few details over the phone and even hung up on them in a subsequent call. Uh, this is Miss Fields' quote here. My son, I'm presuming that this is the the same son that would have went over there that evening to meet with Lauren. Well, in some of the news reports, when the family is speaking with reporters, uh, I believe there's two brothers that are been interviewed. Perfect. So she says, my son talked to him, meaning the detective, Detective Cronin, and asked him what happened. And Cronin said that she met a white guy on Bumble, but don't worry about that. He's a really nice guy. End quote. Detective Cronin said he would meet with the mother of the decedent and her son at Miss Field's apartment. They say that they waited for an hour and a half or more than an hour and a half. And when they called him, you know, hey, we're here waiting. Where are you? Are you on your way? Detective Cronin told them to stop calling. She later the mother later had to beg the police to collect evidence from the scene. And that's according to her lawyer. This is absolutely unacceptable. Your job is to serve and protect. And obviously you're not serving. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com. 
com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Don't call her to come back. I've been here for years. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, Captain. Well, this is an aggravating story, huh? Mm-hmm. Welcome to the garage. <laughs> Just wait till I get started. Hey, if you're at the gym, this is a good story to be listening to because you can put a few more plates on on that bar and just go to town. Let your anger rise.
All right, Captain, we have a, a serious issue here. We have a crime scene that I don't believe that was looked at. To You have a situation where you have a mysterious death, and as far as you know as a detective, until it's ruled other, you have to determine what actually occurred here. And as you pointed out before we went to break, you also have a man that is here at this woman's apartment when you find her body. Yes, we read how this story and what went down air quotes to Lauren Smith fields the night before, according to the news reports. And then we even covered the police report from Bridgeport themselves of what went down with Lauren Smith fields. But we need to remind everybody that unfortunately a big problem with both the police report and how this story is reported is we don't have Lauren's version of the events from that night. We only have this person that we're calling Matt. We only have this Matt guy to tell us what happened the night before and in the morning when he woke up and he says he finds her unresponsive and believed to be dead at that time when he wakes up at, at 630 in the morning. Yeah, if I'm the investigator, I'm first wanting to know, is this Matt guy telling me the truth? Okay, so like I said, where our communication was on Instagram and on Bumble. Well, let me see that communication. Is he willing to show me that communication? I think it's a red flag, the fact that he moved her from the couch into the bedroom. Why are you doing that? If I just met somebody a couple days ago and I woke up and they were carrying me to my bed, I'd go, what are you doing? The normal reaction there would just put a blanket on them if you go lay in their bed and fall asleep, that's fine. But you didn't have to move her. The other red flag is she's throwing up earlier from drinking and she goes back to drinking. Now, if that's me, I'm going, I, I don't know you that well. And I, that's not the appropriate reaction to throwing up is let's go back to drinking. I'd go, hey, uh, you're not feeling well. I need to check myself out of this situation. Yes. If your date carried you to your bed, I would, I would have some questions about that as big well. biceps. She That's, had big biceps. You see the but, shoulders on that woman. But what, what we do know is that he also made the nine one one call. So if I'm an right. investigator, I want to listen to that nine one one call. We know that he was doing chest, chest compressions based off of the nine one one operator telling him to do so. He then hangs up the phone. When they get there, that's normal, proper procedure. But I'm going to go, hey, Matt, who else knew that you were here? Who knew that you were talking to Lauren? I want to talk to them. I want to check your criminal record. If I, he has one. Well, I just want to check. Yeah. Right. I just want to check to see if, if there is a record. Uh, what's this guy's background? What's his work history? Did anybody see you come into the apartment? Are you willing to come down to the station and to do a proper interview there? Are you willing to take a lie detector? He claims that there was no sexual intercourse. Okay. Well, why why isn't there any test done? And the the big red flag is they find and what the reports are saying a used condom in the trash in a trash can, I believe in her bedroom. Let's test that DNA. Because if he lied to you about that, if if that DNA comes back to him, well, now he's he's fibbing on his story. Now mm -hmm. the question becomes, are you fibbing on your story to just protect yourself 
or are you some actual criminal? Well, if he lied about that, if he lied about that part of his story, then his credibility has gone completely out the window and you cannot believe any of the rest of his statement. Now, while we sit here and defend Lauren saying, unfortunately, she's not here to give her side of the version of events. We should also defend our person that we're calling Matt as well, because unfortunately we just don't know if she were here. She may tell us, yes, that's exactly how the night went down. And he's perfectly innocent in this whole thing. What we need to put the microscope on though, is everything you just said, captain are all the right questions that the detectives should be asking themselves and looking at the scene and talking to this person that was there. He's the only witness according to his story as to how things went down. You need to shake that tree, see what falls out and see if you think that this guy is, is credible based off of evidence. What we have here is a situation where the detective tells the family, uh, that, you know, that guy that we found in, in the apartment at your dead sister's apartment, uh, yeah, he seems like a nice guy. Don't jump to any conclusions with him. I wouldn't jump to any conclusions with him. He seems like a nice guy. No, no, no. The statement should have been, look, we're looking into every aspect of this. We're looking to yeah. see if a crime was committed. And if so, who committed that crime? Well, right now, again, let's just assume that Matt had nothing to do with this. He, he shows up at a girl's house that he doesn't really know too well. She's getting sick. She ends up falling asleep or passing out. She stops breathing. This is a devastating event. Cops don't do their job. Now this becomes national news, world news. Now your name is in most of the reports. And people are saying, this is a suspicious death, possibly a murder. Well, you're number one suspect. So not only did the cops not serve and protect Lauren and her family, but they didn't serve and protect Matt. Unfortunately, we know that in many situations, anybody that's watched Dateline, listen to this show for any long, long period of time, you know that when we have a case, especially of a, uh, a woman who is, is murdered, often it is the husband or the boyfriend. And I'm here to tell you, it sounds to me that if you were a husband or a boyfriend looking to off your, your loved one, your spouse, you should probably live in Bridgeport and, and request Detective Cronin show up to the scene because apparently Detective Cronin, if you if you seem frantic and panicked and if you said that you did chest compressions and you were the one that called 911, well, he's going to deem you to be a nice guy and not want to jump to any conclusions. Yeah, you know who else <laughs> seemed to be a nice guy? Ted Bundy. You know who else seemed to be a nice guy when they're doing their sermons on Sunday? BTK. John Wayne Gacy was charismatic as hell. Yeah. The medical examiner ruled Lawrence Smith's field's death was accidental and caused by acute intoxication due to the combined effects of fentanyl, promethazine, hydroxyzine, and alcohol. And if I mispronounce any of those, I want you to know they have revoked my medical license. Yes, um, but he's still studying and doing research on computers. Now, the family obviously is upset a, about a number of things, but specifically uncollected evidence or stuff that could be possible evidence if, in fact, a crime was committed here. And their attorney alleges that the family found a used condom, as the captain pointed out, a sedative pill and bloodstained sheets and overturned plate of food and bottles of alcohol. So 
The bloodstained sheet, I'd like to see this for myself because we do know that the victim was bleeding through the nostril. And if it's just a little bit of blood, then that would explain, you know, to say bloodstained sheet or sheets makes it sound like it was a, a bloodbath. And I can't believe that that would be the scene. But yeah, but, but here's the difference. If if you tell me, oh, I found her and her, her nose was bleeding, but but that blood stains by her knee. Right. Well, now we have an issue. Right. And then on top of that, this family, look, and not all family members know what everybody in their family is doing. Is it possible that she used drugs from time to time or she has experimented? She might have never experimented until that day. So, but when the when the family says, look, she wasn't a known drug user to us, how the hell does she have fentanyl in her system? And that's what they don't explain to you. That they're not telling you that how that fentanyl got into her system. Was it right. ingested orally? Was it ingested through the nasal? Was it? What, did she shoot up? Is there was track it a patch? Yeah. Is there track marks? And then these prescription pills. Well, let's let's look through the house and to see, or let's contact her doctor and were these prescribed medicines given to her? Right. By a physician, or were these prescription medication that she was getting from somebody? Now, now again, that leads you to evidence. If you go, well, she she had all these prescription drugs in her system, but there was nothing to show that she had a prescription. Then you then go back to question Matt. Did he have a prescription right. for these? How did these get into her system, I think, is a big... How did they get into her system? Was was she drugged? How right. did these items get into her apartment? And the thing is, look, let me run a scenario by you that is a possible scenario in this situation. You have a family that says, our loved one did not do drugs, We we or at least to our knowledge, did not do drugs. Right. And we have a man here who says that consensually he spent the night or was at her apartment at least leading up to her falling asleep and then wakes up and finds her dead in the morning calls 911 don't worry detective cronin says he seems like a nice guy but now we run we run matt's information into our computers and find out this guy's got a whole bunch of drug charges right stemming back years now don't you start to go okay well maybe we have a situation here the thing is with these items that i just mentioned none of these items were collected originally as evidence or even possible evidence or photographs taken of any of this stuff as well we have one thing that i can point to again i'd like to see the sheet the bed sheet because it's it's left very vague the description of this bed sheet but that aside, we have this overturned plate of food. This might indicate that something else was going on differently that night than what we're being told by the only living person that is in the apartment when we arrive there to try to save this young woman's life. My big issue is test the, the damn condom. Because there you go. if you test that condom and it goes back to Matt, then this guy's a lying piece of shit that feels the need that he has to drug somebody in order to have sex with them. And, and then also, during the autopsy, why not run a rape kit? I don't know. That could have been done. That could have been conducted in all fairness. Right. The, from my understanding, I looked for the autopsy report. There are several news outlets that state that it has been sealed and it's not been released to the general public. Well, here's the thing. If you're ruling it accidental overdose, 
Then it's case closed. And guess who gets to see those case files? The family. But you're not in communication with the family. You're not being respectful for the family. So shame on you. Oddly enough, though, Captain, this is not the only story that ends up this way coming out of the same area. Strangely enough, we have Brenda Lee Rawls, who is found dead the same day. And again, her family is not notified of her untimely death as well. And this is this is all going on, not just in the same city of Bridgeport, but the same neighborhood. But we don't believe the same officers were connected to that case. No, I believe that it was a uh, different officer. So a little background on this other story is that Ms. Rawls worked as a customer service representative for most of her career. Her sister describes her as a family person who was extremely funny. She loved to laugh and make jokes. Uh, even in bad times, she would make a bad situation into a funny situation. Now, it's unclear to me, and I've, I've searched high and low, and it, it doesn't seem like any new information has come out in regard to Brenda Lee Rawls, but it's unclear how she died. There was no physical signs of trauma, from my understanding, or even foul play. The medical examiner would be in charge, obviously, of determining the cause of death. On December 14th, after realizing that Miss Rawls had stopped responding to their text messages and phone calls, her sisters and some other relatives decided to go to her apartment. She wasn't there, so they went a few doors down to one of their friend's apartments. There, at his apartment, he told them that Ms. Ross died two days earlier in his home. After he was unable to wake her up in the morning, it's, it's eerie how similar these stories are. He calls 911, and her body was taken away. He handed some of her clothing to her family when he's telling them, hey, she, she passed away. But again, they were not notified by the police. And Miss Rawls lived just two miles away from Lauren Smith Fields, who died on the morning of December 12th. So this is all happening within days of, of one another. And they're just sad. I mean, horribly despicable stories to learn of a loved one, the loss of a loved one, and then learn that nobody even bothered to tell you. Like right. The, the right precautions... The right precautions or the, the right attempts were all there by the persons that were with the person when they did, when they were found deceased, calling, notifying 911, police on the scene, medics on the scene, yet that's as far as it goes. That's as far as it goes in Bridgeport. You know, some are speculating that that's as far as it goes if you're a black person in Bridgeport. Right. There's been a lot of reports coming out that, other officers and other people in the community were trying to warn people about this is their lack of effort when it comes to a, a black victim. But it's absolutely pathetic police work. And there's a lot of great cops out there, and there's a lot of great detectives trying to do the right thing, doing their job, serving and protecting. And these scumbags give everybody else a bad name. But... In this case, like I said, Lauren is a victim, but if if Matt is innocent, then he's a victim as well, mm -hmm. and they should have done their due diligence to figure out where he stands because, look, so, so and you can get more into detail, <laughs> they suspend both of the officers, and they 
go, hey, we're going to investigate the investigation and we're going to reinvestigate the death. Okay, now the at least the department is trying to do the right thing. So kudos to them. But now what happens if Matt goes, well, this is national news now. I better get a lawyer. Then people are going to speculate that, oh, well, he got a lawyer. He lawyered up, so now he's guilty. Which, I mean, anybody, in, look, initial the initial investigation, be open with police. And if you think that they think you're suspicious of something, get a lawyer to navigate you through the questioning. Here's the other but, problem, but, too. But at this point, he would have to be an absolute moron not to lawyer up. Here's the other problem, too, for everybody. For everybody. Is that the detective does not know shit at that time, right? On that day. Doesn't even bother to notify the family. Now, we have to sit and wait for the medical examiner to come to a conclusion on cause and manner of death. What if days later... The, the medical examiner comes back and says, rules it a homicide. You let all this time go by. You didn't collect evidence. You didn't do any type of investigation. You didn't take any type of photographs. Where does your case sit if it does turn to a homicide? It sits, it sits as a pile of shit. Right in it the is. trash can. Yeah. Since these terrible tragedies, Bridgeport Mayor Joe Gannam says he's working on the situation and issues a public apology. We have that clip here for you now. I once again want to express my condolences to the families of Lawrence Smithfields and also the family of Brenda Lee Rawls. After reviewing these matters even more closely, I've now directed Deputy Chief Baraja of the Bridgeport Police Department to immediately put on leave the two officers who are the subject of the Bridgeport Internal Affairs investigation and disciplinary action for their lack of sensitivity to the public and their failure to follow police procedure in the handling of these two matters. Let me be clear, effective immediately, both Detective Lanos and Detective Cronin are suspended from duties and put on administrative leave from the Bridgeport Police Department until such time as the OIA investigation and disciplinary cases have been completed regarding Lawrence Smithfields and Brenda, Lee's, Brenda Lee Rawls' cases. The Bridgeport Police Department has high standards for officer sensitivity, especially in matters involving the death of a family member. It is an unaccepted failure if policies were not followed. To the families, friends, and all who care about human decency, that that should be shown in these situations, in this case by members of the police department, I'm very sorry. In addition, the officer who was in charge of overseeing these matters has retired from the department as of this past Friday. To again make it clear, both to members of the public and to the department, insensitivity, disrespect in action, or deviation from policy will not be tolerated by me or others in this administration. My disappointment and demand for accountability in these and all other matters brought to my attention will remain until all the questions are answered to the satisfaction of all. It should also be noted that the untimely death of Lawrence Smithfields and Brenda Lee Rawls are both still under active investigation and have been reassigned to members of the Bridgeport Police Department to resolve. I want to thank Attorney Crossland 
and the family and the thousands of others for reaching out and asking the questions that needed to be asked and that still need answers. I as mayor, but also as a father, cannot fully comprehend what must be going through. I can only pledge my continued support to try and ease your pain by getting answers and holding those responsible accountable. Yeah, again, like I said, it's absolutely pathetic. Just the lack of, of care. Again, you can do an investigation, but you lost precious time and you lost precious resources. Once you have access to her house, once you put her into an ambulance to have her go to the hospital, you now have access to the full crime scene. And now they've lost that ability. So, again, I think there's still going to be question marks later, and that doesn't do service to Lauren, that doesn't do service to Matt, that doesn't do service to the community or her family. And you have to applaud her mother. When something like this happens and and you and you have a sense that there's something wrong here, her family should be applauded for pointing out, hey, there's something not right here. Yes, both families, Brenda Lee Ross family and Lauren Smith's family, Smith Fields family should be applauded here because they are not just they're not just trying to solve and create a solution to this problem, the problem that affected their families. They are bringing a, attention in my opinion to a problem that is citywide, right? right? This is a huge problem an ongoing problem in the city and i have to i have to read part of this article this was a brilliant article gangbusters work by the good people over at buzzfeed.com this article was posted just last friday the article is by uh kabitha serana caroline o'donovan stephanie bear and andrea click and basically the article is about racism within the police department itself and the article's titled Black Officers Have Tried to Sound the Alarm on the Police Department Overseeing Lauren Smith-Fields Case for Years. BuzzFeed saying that the Lauren Smith-Fields case is just the latest in a string of troubling incidents for the department. And I agree after reading this article. Listen to what they have uncovered. BuzzFeed says in recent years, complaints from black officers have offered a window into the department's internal culture and accusing top leaders of racist conduct. Back in August of 2018, Captain Strubble, a top aide to police chief with more than two decades at the agency, stepped down after complaints of racist text had surfaced. In one text, later published in court documents, this officer, Captain Strubble, he referred to a local Juneteenth event that he was asked to attend as an N-word parade. In another text, he said he asked a black captain who was running to become police chief, his name is Roderick Porter, if seeing the film Planet of the Apes made him homesick. These are from court documents. This is unacceptable. He also called African Americans a cancer in text and said he hoped for a race war. Well, that's... that's <laughs> Really intelligent of you there, sir. Straubel himself later argued in a suit, in a lawsuit, that his comments were part of a widespread culture in the agency perpetuated by the former chief, who he accused of regularly using racial slurs. 
talking about genocidal fantasies in reference to members of the black race and saying that the former chief was even drunk at work. Okay, so before I go back to the article, let's just address this. This is horrible, despicable behavior by this this captain. He gets called out on it. Obviously, he's racist as hell. And when he gets called out on it, he he's admitting to doing it, but says, you know, I did it because the chief did stuff like that, too. Oh, yeah. The old like that's like very second grade of you there, sir, to go. Oh, yeah, I did it, but it was only because these other guys were doing it, too. Well, not only should the black officers be pissed off, but the other white officers should, should be equally pissed off, if not more pissed off, because this is painting your whole department as a bunch of racist clowns. Well, what it appears to me, based off of the statements of this captain who it admits to what he has done yeah, is captain it's, fuckhead it's confirming that yes the higher ups in this department at one time and likely still are behaving this way are conducting themselves in this type of of manner they should be fired and they should not get a pension and this is the reason why you your your salary your pension your retirement your your health coverage all that stuff is paid for by the taxpayers that you swore you're going to serve and protect and you have not done so you have you have de- you have decided which citizens to serve and protect and which ones you won't i would question if they're serving any of the citizens at all if they're behaving this way correct um so the the chief that we just talked about this is uh armando perez resigned in 2020 and went to prison for obtaining his position through an exam rigging scheme. Since then, about a dozen black officers have filed internal complaints about lack of training and opportunities for promotion, hostile work environment, and retaliation for speaking up. And this comes from a Devon Polite, the president of the Guardians, which is an organization for officers who are people of color. So good for them. They have some kind of representation here. Devon Polite who is half Italian and half black, was granted probation in 2018 after facing second-degree assault charges for allegedly dragging a man from his car and beating him after the man struck his Mercedes. Again, this goes back to, and I know that he's on the side of the of the black officers, but I don't understand. Look, Devon Polite's probably trying to do some good work. I don't know that I want a police force where we have guys that are higher up in the force that have assault charges or assault convictions. I don't want racist on my police force either, especially higher up in the police force or in any organization for that. matter. I don't even care if you're the janitor, if you're racist, you're gone. One day the janitor is going to run this garage. You watch your filthy mouth. Yeah. It's there's no place in society for this ignorance. And And I don't understand why, again, if you're a white officer and you've set by and let this stuff happen, you're just as much of a part of the problem. You you saw the burning building and you didn't call for help. You didn't pick up a bucket of water and try to do something. It's it's pathetic is what it is. The department's only black captains have both filed lawsuits against the agency. They say their responsibilities were curtailed after speaking up against leaders. Now, one of them, this is Roderick Porter, was a finalist for chief in 2018 in lawsuits and complaints with the state. He argues 
that the department passed him over in favor of Perez because he had opposed Straubel's racist comments. He also accused the agency of a racially hostile work environment and says Perez tried to hide Straubel's racist messages after he learned of them and failed to investigate. Then in 2019, a spokesperson for Mayor Ganim said he was outraged by the racist remarks of Straubel, but in court filings, the city denied that Perez was aware of the contents of these text messages and said internal affairs affairs did investigate the matter at the time, noting that Straubel was put on administrative leave. The city also denied that Porter was more qualified for the job of acting chief, saying that Perez, quote, was a police officer longer and had more experience in command positions and was well liked in the community, end quote. Now, the mayor denied participating in Perez's scheme for advocating for him to become chief. Now, I don't I don't question that one bit. But after Perez stepped down, pleading guilty and went to prison, Porter was the only remaining candidate for the job of acting chief from the previous list of finalists, but the city chose Captain Rebecca Garcia instead. Garcia is the current captain, from my understanding here, Captain. Last November, a judge found her promotion was also part of Perez's exam rigging scheme. So like most places, you know, this is this is fairly common from my understanding in a lot of these law enforcement agencies. They use these exams as the primary reason for why one person would get a promotion over the other. However, we're seeing in this situation, this has been ruled by a court. This is not the colonel here coming up to his own conclusions. It's been ruled by the court that this was there was some illegal rigging of this exam and of this of this process to put Perez in the position of police chief and probably promoting others along the way as well. So what you're seeing here is this police department is screwed up from top to bottom. After 300 community members marched to the mayor's office demanding action in Lauren Smith Fields case, Mayor Ganim demanded that the department present him with three new finalists for the police chief job within 150 days. I would like to go back to that after we examine the rest of this BuzzFeed.com article. In court filings, the city said that the undisputed facts demonstrate that Porter was not subjected to hostile work environment and that the decision not to select him as the chief of Bridgeport Police Department the acting chief or the assistant deputy chief was not based on his race or color. A representative for the city, this is Scott Appleby, said that promotions within the police department are conducted by a civil service exam process. Well, we need to change that process because it's broken. We've already seen how it's screwed up the department so far. The article goes on to say, quote, regarding any discrimination complaints, the city of Bridgeport and the police department take these matters seriously, Appleby said in via email. The city immediately refers each complaint to an outside firm that specializes in employment matters for independent investigations, end quote. Okay, so they give, when we have these matters that come up, when we have complaints that come up, we hand this off to an outside firm. That's smart. That's smart. Let's let somebody that doesn't have a dog in the fight examine the situation and issue a ruling so we can figure out if there was wrongdoing, and if so, who do we penalize? 
That's great. I applaud that. That's smart. However, according to this article, these cases are still open and these are months and months old. Maybe it's time to get a new outside firm to look into this situation. They're not doing their job either. Right. So let's give it off to somebody that seems to be incapable of coming to a conclusion as to what happened, if there was wrongdoing or not. Bring me in for a weekend. I'll tell you who's a shitbag and who's not. According to this article, racial discrimination within within the Bridgeport Police Department is nothing new. Quote, it goes back to the 70s, 80s, and 90s. End quote. This is according to Captain Porter. Uh, quote, we were under special master federal oversight for a number of years. Now, the Bridgeport Police Department operated under this federal oversight from 1983 to 2010 for nearly 30 years. The agency's issues with race were so blatant in the 1980s that 33 black officers, all but one, patrolled the most dangerous neighborhoods, putting all of the black officers basically on the front line in, in right. the in the danger zone, if you will, while the white officers get to patrol the less dangerous neighborhoods. Yeah, or sit behind a desk and do nothing but tell horrible jokes. So a federal judge had assigned a special master to ensure equal opportunity with powers to administer, assign, and discipline officers, which the agency had to pay for. But ever since the agreement dissolved, the agency has been in a downward spiral. This according to the local NAACP president. Black officers have been calling for federal oversight to be reinstated for months, and they have been joined by advocates and city council members. Uh, one in particular is Maria Pereira. Again, Bridgeport City Councilwoman Maria Pereira says, quote, Bridgeport Police Department has by far the largest budget in the state of Connecticut, and what we get for it is a police department that is in shambles, it's chaos, end quote. Now, in all fairness to that statement, all of that statement to me, yes, it's her opinion, but it appears to be true to me. Uh, this department is in shambles, and if she says that they have the largest budget, then I believe it. She's the city councilwoman. But in all fairness, we should point out that Bridgeport is the largest city in Connecticut, so they should have the largest budget. What we have here, Captain, though, is a situation, too, where the one of the later lines in this article really needs to be underlined and echoed until this problem is solved and corrected. It says, this is by one of the officers, one of the Bridgeport police officers says, quote, we need court oversight if we are being mistreated in this department with our own people here, you can imagine what is going on outside, end quote. And that's what we're seeing now, what is going on outside, where we have the media responding to the mishandling of the Brander Lee Ross case and the Lauren Smith Fields case. Yeah, they need to do a second investigation. They need to do a second autopsy. And they need to be in close communication with her friends and family to make sure that they feel comfortable about the investigation and that they feel that the investigation is as thorough as they wish. Well, what needs to happen in these two cases, especially in the Lauren Smith Fields case, is uh, because we have some more details in that case than we do the Brenda Lee Rawls case. 
So it's a little clearer to me what I believe should happen. And I think that what needs to happen here is that an outside investigation needs to take place. An outside agency needs to come in and conduct a proper and, as you said, thorough investigation into both of these situations. And it should include a civil rights probe by the Justice Department, by officials from the Justice Department uh, into the Bridgeport Police Department itself. I think that it's slightly respectful that Mayor Ganim gave and issued an apology to the families. Uh, we do have city councilwoman Maria Pereira who says, look, both of the families reject the mayor's apology. And she says that he should have called them to his office and spoke with them in person. I agree with that 100%. I do want to point out something here. Yeah, I but hold on. That's what's so bullshit about people. Be a human reach out to them, call them, meet them face to face. Don't just get in front of a camera. It's almost like a show. Like, oh, well, I'm just going to go in and I'm going to parade around in, in front of the camera. But why not reach out to them? These are humans that lost their their daughter, that lost their sister. Like that, that shows no class. Well, and I do want to point out something here too. I, I seem to I think I like this Maria Pereira. She seems to be a bit of a whistleblower. She's calling things what they are and pointing out problems that they have. I just hope that she is offering solutions at some point. She is a city council woman, and I hope that her and the rest of the city council are a part of the solution and start creating solutions rather than just pointing to things and saying, hey, that's a problem, and this is why it's a problem. And the mayor really, look, you you got to get your shit together, my friend, because here's the problem. I understand that you're demanding that the department uh, send you three candidates for a new police chief within the next 150 days, I believe it says. No, that's as lazy as what some of your upper staff in the department is doing. Present me with three candidates in, in the next 150 days? No, man. You need to get in there and you need to get your hands dirty and do some damn work and get this straightened out. Because right now, your city is shit. And you are the fat, filthy pig that is sitting in it. That is just sitting in it. Yeah. Your department is a disgrace. And if you have these problems within your police department, I cannot imagine the problems that you have in your other departments that you oversee as mayor. This needs to become your top priority. And look, this agency, as messed up as it seems to be, maybe they're not the best ones to be, to be presenting candidates to you. Again, I also I don't understand why some of this stuff takes so long. You could sit down with everybody in the department and, and speak with each one of them individually, you know, for just a small period of time to, to, to ask them face to face, give me a couple names of who you think should be running these departments. And you're going to see the same names kind of popping up because these officers, the respected officers and the ones that are doing the right thing, most of the other officers know about it. So, but it's this whole case is absolutely pathetic and and it's and it, and I feel also bad for all the other like I said all the other law enforcement officers that wake up every day and they put their life on the line and they try to do the right thing and they protect people and they serve their communities no matter what race they are and it's just um i i hope that 
they could do a thorough investigation and an investigation that the family feels confident in. So many questions. Hopefully, Lauren's family gets some answers. For everything true crime, check out truecrimegarage.com. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.